Well, like I said, back in Chicago, that's some good stuff right there. So thanks, you guys. Appreciate that. Getting our hearts and minds focused on this awesome God that we have. Um, we're going to be working through the Gospel of Luke. We're starting a new series today. Um, we're going to end 2023 in Luke, but then we're going to keep on going when we get into 2024. Um, Christmas services, we're going to look at that famous chapter of Luke, chapter 2. So I'll just encourage you to, to be reading that uh, over the next several months and just get familiar with uh, what God has given us in this gospel. And um, it'll also help you just as we get here on a Sunday morning and we go through it, you'll be, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that and what Harold's saying. Um, how many of you guys have ever done a gender reveal or been to a gender reveal? <clears throat> Let's see if you guys are willing to admit to that, okay? Like the, the 5 o'clock service last night, nobody wanted to admit to it. I don't know what the deal was. It's like, you're not going to get in trouble, you know. Yeah, gender reveals are kind of a neat, you know, thing that's been going on for a few years now. Back in my day, you know, I'm old now, so back in our day, we didn't care what we had. We just happened to have a kid and whatever popped out, oh, hey, <laughs> uh, we'll take it. Um, and like, well, our kids, you could tell they're definitely our kids. It, big old fat cheeks and anyways, uh, bald, you know, the whole thing. But anyways, you know, so if it's pink, it's a girl. It's, if it's blue, it's a boy. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it. And there's some funny ones out there if you want to look up on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. But imagine if before you ever got pregnant, men, before your wives ever got pregnant, I got to make sure. Some guys are going, what? I can't get pregnant. I'm out of here. No, if before you're ever pregnant, an angel shows up and not only tells you, hey, you're going to get pregnant, but they're going to they're gonna reveal the gender to you. Can you imagine how crazy that would seem? Well, Luke starts out with two gender reveals, preconception gender reveals. These two um, gender reveals are actually things that have changed the history of mankind it actually changed mankind's eternity. So these are crucial things for us to, for him to start his gospel out with. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. It's page 1018 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And uh, we're going to look at the first of one of these reveals. We'll look at the next one next week. And then we want to pull some biblical truth out of it. We want to get some encouragement for our lives and help us understand what God has for us. And as you're turning there, let me just give you some background. First of all, Luke, he's actually a non-Jewish doctor. Uh, he wrote as a Gentile for Gentiles, which means if you're here this morning, like myself, and you don't have any Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile. And so he's writing from a Gentile or non-Jewish perspective. It was written around 60 to 62 AD, so a little less than 30 years after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. Uh, it's actually a letter, and we call it a gospel, but it's actually a letter. It was written to strengthen the faith of a new believer whose name was Theophilus, and this is what Luke says about that as he kicks off the chapter. So it is as much as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished, of course, talking about Jesus, among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully. So that word he's using there is that he's thoroughly researched this. He's like a, one of these pesky reporters, right? He's going out there, checking out, getting hold of these eyewitnesses, all the information that he can get, and he's putting it together. And he's done this from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. It means it's going to be chronological at times, and at other times it's going to be theological order in the sense that he's teaching, he's telling us some teachings from Jesus, <clears throat> but 
prior to that time of teaching, there was something else that happened, and so he's going to pull that thing over too. So it's more of a theological thing, and it's most excellent Theophilus. And when you see the most excellent, that's kind of a title given to somebody who's um, upper class. He could be a politician. He could be just a wealthy business owner. He was probably a Gentile and, a, and probably a new believer. All right. So that you may, and so this is the reason why he's doing it, so you may know, and that Greek word means to know it deeply, to know it personally, so you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So that's his purpose in writing. <clears throat> as he writes, he's going to portray Jesus as the Son of Man. Where Matthew uh, looks at Jesus as the King, um, John, I think, uses the phrase Son of God, Luke's going to use the, the title Son of Man. He's going to focus in on the humanness of Jesus to help us understand a little bit more about the human side. He's obviously God, but he's also man. The key verse is Luke 19, so a little ways into the, the gospel. And, and there Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that's his purpose for coming. And then Luke stresses that salvation is for all people. It's not just for Jews. It's for all people. And we know that because, first of all, he, because he's a Gentile writing for Gentiles, he translates Aramaic terms for us, so we understand what he's talking about. He explains Jewish customs and geography. He traces Jesus' lineage back to Adam, uh, not to Abraham. So he's going all the way before Abraham started, which would have been before Israel started. The angel says, hey, this is good news of great joy for all people. Simeon, he's going to prophesy and say that this, that his birth is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And then he also includes Jesus' command to take the gospel to all the nations. So let's see what, uh, what some of Luke's uh, investigation has uncovered and, and see what he has to say <clears throat> about this first reveal. So it says, in the days of Herod, and this is talking about Herod the Great, Herod the uh, First, it's a time of religious and political corruption. This is kind of like our day. It's just a mess. Um, and so he's being born into that. He's the king of Judea, which actually he's under Roman authority, so Rome has given him the power to kind of control that area. There was a priest named Zechariah. Some of your um, translations may say Zechariah, which is the same guy that's just whatever reason. I don't even know the reason why they give him different names. In the Greek, it's Zechariah, so that's why I use that. The translation I use is use that, but... Uh, he was of the division of Abijah and had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Basically, they're both from this priestly line of Israel, all right? And so both of them come from that background. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. She was infertile. And now they were both advanced in years. They were beyond the years of typically having children. Now, so according to Dr. Luke, the critical part of the Christmas story of Jesus Christ coming to earth has something to do with this Zacharias and his, his wife Elizabeth. And he starts out by saying, first of all, they were righteous. He wants everybody to understand that they were right with God. That's what the word righteous means. When you look in the Old Testament, and the Gospels technically are still Old Testament because Jesus hasn't died and rose from the dead yet, so technically they're still operating in an Old Testament system. When the Old Testament says that a person was righteous, what it's saying is that that person had been made right with God, by God. So God is the one who's made them right with him. It goes all the way back to Genesis 15, 
where it says, and he talked about Abraham. So Abraham received this incredible blessing from God, these promises from God for Israel and for the world, that the world will be blessed through him. And so he hears that. And so then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, believed his plan, his promises, and God reckoned it or he credited it to put it on Abraham's account to him as righteousness. God made Abraham right with him based on his faith, his belief in what God said. And this is kind of a crucial thing. And so in the New Testament, we use words like saved and redeemed, justified, born again, different words, all saying the same thing, all being made right with God by God. And so their faith in God is then seen in their obedience. All right, it's not do a bunch of good, godly, religious things. They weren't blameless in doing all these good things which made them right with God. No, is that they believe what God said about his plans for the world and for what he was going to do through Israel and all the stuff that they had in the Old Testament. They believe what he said and then God said, you are right with me. They showed the relationship through obedience. All right? So just like it was for them, it's, it is for us. We don't do a bunch of good stuff going to church on Sunday morning, or if you're real special, you come on Saturday night. You know, <laughs> anyway. We don't do all that religious stuff, all that good stuff, so that we are acceptable to God. We believe what he says about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. We place our faith in him. He forgives us and makes us right with him. Then we show it by how we live life. There is a changed life that happens once you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And the rest of the New Testament tells us he's, he's trying to make us more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus. So even though these, these people are model followers of God, there's an issue. God hadn't given them a child. Now we might think, well, okay, so I didn't have a child. You know, it happens a lot. <clears throat> Back then, and it's still the same way today, especially with children, if God didn't give you a child... Back in that day, it made it look like that there is something that you're doing wrong, that God is not pleased with you, that you're doing something in your life where God's not going to give you the gift of a child. So they had somehow sinned. That's how a lot of people, in fact, at the end of the passage that we're reading today, um, Elizabeth even refer, refers to that, that this, the disgrace is gone now that she has a child. But we need to be careful because, yes, sometimes unanswered prayer, not getting what we would like to have from God, could be because we're doing life wrong. And if, if God were to give us the answer to prayer, we would take that answer and we continue to do life wrong with it. He's a good father. He's not going to do things that's going to cause us to continue to hurt ourselves. So sometimes it happens. Other times, God um, doesn't answer because it's not the time yet. Because God's will is perfect, God's timing is perfect. God's working out things in our lives. And so it's not time yet to receive whatever it is that we're asking for. And that's the case with Zacharias and Elizabeth. So before we move on, let me just personalize this. Let me try to personalize it with you. Have you ever prayed for something and prayed for something? And pray. Maybe some of you guys are doing that right now. You're just praying and praying and praying and wanting God. Just 
God, please help my spouse come to Christ or help my child or parent come to Christ or Lord, help my family member to, to want what you want for them, for them to pursue Christ and to grow in their spiritual life. Or maybe some of you are praying, God, I, I would like to have a child. I'd like to be like Elizabeth. I'd like to have a child. Or some of you go, I, I'd love to get married and I, I've been praying for that and that's just not happening. Maybe it's, I don't know, you want to be healed or you have some health issues. You want to get, I don't, I don't know. It could be a job. We pray about a lot of different things. A lot of different things are important to us. And so we're praying and praying and praying. What do you do when you're doing that? What do you do when you're waiting on God to answer the question if he, or answer the prayer if he's even going to answer it or not? Let's see if we can learn something from Zechariah. Luke goes on to say, Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. Now there's a, a bunch of priests at this time and they couldn't all serve at the temple at the same time. So they, they would go home and then the rotation would come up and his rotation was up. And so he was ready to go down there to the temple to serve. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot. In other words, they, they you know, drew straws to see who's going to be the lucky one to go in and, and light the, the incense. Now, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast by man, but the decision is God's. And so we know that God is working in this. Zacharias is just going about doing his priestly business, but God is going to be working in this to bring about his will and what he wants to do. So to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And once-in-a-lifetime opportunities is pretty exciting for Zacharias to get to do. And the whole multitude of people, meaning the priests and the other worshipers, were in, the, in prayer outside at the hour of the incense burning. So I put a graphic up here. Uh, this is the temple area, and the, to the left is the Holy of Holies. And this is where the, the high priest would go once a year, if you're familiar with this. He'd go once a year, they would sacrifice an animal, because back in the Old Testament, as God was teaching people about the need for sacrifice and the spilling of blood for the forgiveness of sins and pointing towards Jesus Christ, they would slaughter an animal, and people who believed what God said about that animal being sacrificed as the forgiveness of their sins would then have their sins forgiven. All right? And so he would go in there. It's kind of interesting because he had a, a, a rope on and with a little jingling thing. And as, as he's in there, if he were to die because he did something wrong, then they'd be like, oh, not hearing the bell, let's pull him out. And they'd drag his body out. All right? This to play into it in a little bit here when I do some other reading. Zacharias, he's going to be in the holy place, which is before the Holy of Holies. He's going to be in there by himself. He's going to offer up some incense. That room is going to become filled with uh, the smoke from the incense. And it's going to illustrate the priests and the worshipers, their prayer and praise of God. So that's, that's kind of what's going on in there. All right? Everybody kind of on board with that? Some of you guys don't care. That's fine. Um, but I thought some of you guys might be interested in that. So, <clears throat> so what does Zacharias do as he waited for his answer from God? Now, we know from verse 6 that they, they both were blameless. Uh, they followed the commands of God. In other words, they did life God's way. As they waited on God, as they prayed for whatever it is that they were hoping for, they continued to do life the way God wanted them to do it. They didn't get bitter. They didn't get angry. They didn't get apathetic toward God. They just kept on doing it, trusting who God was. Zacharias, he was faithfully carrying out his responsibilities. He was a priest, and that's what God called him to do. And so that's what he would do. His rotation, he'd go down, and he would do what he was supposed to do. He, they were showing this heart of trust in God, 
in his will, in his goodness. And so personalizing this again for us, what should we do? We should do the same thing. We should show a heart of trust that what God is doing, he's doing for a reason. We can trust him. He's good. His will is perfect. His timing is perfect. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to get irritated. We don't have to get frustrated. We don't have to get angry or bitter. We just remain faithful to do the next right thing, what God has called us to do. Now, I get it. It's not easy. I've been there. I I live there. I have desires, and I'm praying for our church family, and I'm asking God to work in people's lives, and I know people are struggling in that. And so then I I sometimes get frustrated, and I sometimes get just discouraged and down because I want so badly for people to get who God is and do what God wants, and, and they're just struggling with that. And so I get it. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Zacharias and Elizabeth. But we remain focused on, on who God is, that he's a, a good God. His timing is always perfect. And as usually happens, when God answers, the answer is typically unexpected. Right? Look what happens with Zacharias. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing, again, this room is filled with fog from the smoke. And he looks over to the right, he's like, there looks like something over there. I'm not really sure what it is. Off to the right of the incense there. And Zacharias was troubled. He was shaking when he saw the angel. And he fear gripped him. It just kind of fell upon him. And again, who wouldn't be afraid to see this angel standing there when you try to get your work done? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. What petition? His prayer for a child. He's still praying for a child. He's old. His wife's old. They didn't have it when they were younger. He's still praying for a child. And your wife Elizabeth, here's the answer, will bear you a son. And you'll give him the name John. I'm not sure why it wasn't Harold, but whatever. <laughs> we sing Hark to Harold, angels, right? <laughs> he says you will have joy and glad. I had to throw that Harold joke out there with the Hark to Harold. You'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor or beer is another word for there. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So, in other words, John will not be controlled by anything except for the Holy Spirit. From the time he's in his mother's womb. Again, I'm not going to get into the theological ramifications of that because that's just, wow, blowing your mind. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. That's a 400-year-old prophecy from Malachi that's going to be fulfilled through John's life. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, people are going to repent and come back to God so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's another prophecy, 700 years in the making. We talk about unexpected. He's sitting there just burning incense, doing what he's supposed to do, and an angel shows up and tells him, hey, you're, you're not only going to have a child, but it's going to be a boy. And then the unexpected of what he's going to be. 
this son is going to be awesome. <laughs> He's going to do some incredible stuff. This is why he, Luke gives us to Theophilus, because the answer, who John is, he's going to fulfill prophecies from 400 years previous to 700 years previous. This isn't going to be any un- or normal kid. He would bring joy and gladness to, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. We get that, right? Baby's born. We're all happy and excited. Many are going to rejoice. Many are going to rejoice for them, but they're also going to rejoice for the fact of they're going to realize who John is and what John's doing and what he's bringing into into reality, into fruition. He says he'd be considered great in God's eyes. What a great thing to be able to have said about you. Even before his birth, he'd be under the power of the Holy Spirit. This kid, when he comes out, he's going to be the perfect kid. I mean, he's not going to be like Jesus. Jesus was a perfect kid. But he's he's going to be a kid who obeys. We talked about this last week, right? This is awesome. Hey, John, take the trash out. Okay. And he goes, right? You get the corral, swab that out, get the poop out of there. Oh, I got it. <laughs> you know, he's great attitude, always obeying, he's awesome. I had to, we had the grandkids over yesterday, and the kids were moving. So Kim was watching them. I was at a meeting. I come home from a meeting at lunchtime, and Kim's got the three kids there. She's so gutsy. Anyway, she's got the three kids there and the two boys. And I'm like, hey, how is everything going? Are the kids doing okay? You know, are they obeying? That's always my first question. Are they obeying? And Kim's like, well, yeah, well, you know, yeah, they're doing pretty good. Uh, they need a nap. And so then I walk up to the table and I look down at the, both of them and I'm like, you guys obeying? I'm like, um. And I'm like, now, listen, guys. Jamma, she's my wife. And so if you, don't diso- if you don't obey my wife or obey Jamma, you're not obeying my wife. So you need to obey my wife, okay? Ben looks up and says, Baba, I obey your wife. It's just so awesome. So they were obedient for that two or three minutes, and it was, no, they were, they were good. They were really tired. None of them had slept because they were moving, and it was a mess. Anyways, so, but with John, he's going to turn many Jewish people back to God. See, Israel was religious. They were going through the motions of being religious, but God knew that their hearts weren't for him. They were just doing it for themselves. They were doing it to sort of to win God's favor. Well, again, that's not how you win God's favor. And so they were lost. They were moving away from God. And so John was going to bring some of them back to him. He's going to be a forerunner before God to restore families, to restore individuals, to prepare people for the Lord when the Messiah comes, Jesus Christ. Like Elijah, he's going to stand up against the crooked politicians. And John does that later on as an adult. He's going to fulfill Malachi's Prophecy that he's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. Interesting prophecy, isn't it? Like, why would that be in there? Well, we talked about it last week with uh, godly fathers. In the first century, Jewish fathers and Roman fathers looked at their kids as property. All the cultures looked at their kids as property. They, They weren't their children. They weren't a gift from God. They were just property to be used to get their business up and running, to to take care of things around the house. But when God gets a hold of somebody, when God's in there, then that father who's now living life for God, he sees his kids as a gift from God. It's, it's, a, it's a symptom, if you want to say. It's a, it's a result of someone giving their life over to Christ, that they're going to desire for their child to be cared for, to, to grow spiritually. And that's what um, uh, John is going to be doing in helping these guys, these men of, this, of Israel, to do this. 
He would encourage people to repent of their sin and get back to God. He would prepare the way for Jesus. 700 years earlier, Isaiah said there's going to be someone coming who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. John's the guy. You talk about unexpected. An announcement from an angel, which is awesome. But then what he's going to do, the kind of man he's going to grow up to be, that is so unexpected. From a human perspective, can we just be honest here? The human way to do this would have been um, Zacharias goes home, and in the privacy of their home, they spend some time together. I'm not going to tell you, you don't have to use the word, right? there. And she gets pregnant. Answer to prayer, right? That's a lot easier, right? Why go through all this angel stuff? Why, why go through all this, he's going to be such a great, why not just have her get pregnant and that's the answer to prayer? That's what humans would do. That's how we would look at it. And so to personalize this, when have you ever read in the Bible where God, when he answers a prayer or he does something, he does it the way we think he should have done it? There's, I can't think of a time in the Bible as I'm reading it going, yeah, yeah, that's what I would have done. Taking Israel out of Egypt. Moses, who had killed an Egyptian earlier. A guy who said, I can't speak, I, I got a stuttering problem. God uses him. Wouldn't it have been easier for God just to say, hey, listen, here's ten things that you humans need to do. You do this regularly, and then you can be good with me, and I'll take you to heaven one day. That's how we want it. That's the easy way, human way. No, what does God do? God the Son becomes man, Jesus Christ. He lives the perfect life that we can't. Then he dies on the cross, not for his sin, because he's perfect, for our sin. And then we can have our sins forgiven. God will make us right with him. And then we get to go to heaven. You know how I know that no human would ever come up with that idea? Because no human has ever come up with that idea. Look at all the religions of the world. Every religion of the world says, man, woman, you have to do some things before God or the gods will accept you. When God does something, it's typically going to be unexpected. Why? Because his ways are not ours, our ways. Isaiah tells us that. God's always working so that he gets the glory, so that people can see him at work. So that through our lives, people go, wow, how did that happen? Well, let me tell you about God. So we can help him draw people to him for salvation. Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're waiting for, there's a good chance that God's going to answer that in a way that you and I would never have thought of. Because he should get the glory. He should get the praise. So Zacharias has to be pumped, right? I mean, he's, got a, he's in there and the, there's a fog going around and the angel's there and he's hearing this awesome good news. And so he's pumped, right? Let's, let's see. So Zacharias said to the angel, um, <laughs> how will I know this for certain? In other words, how am I supposed to believe this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, because I'm Gabriel. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm the warrior of God who stands in the presence of God. He stands. That word means be face to face with God. Now we know God doesn't have a he's spirit and so he doesn't have a body, but the idea that he's in God's presence, his very presence. And I've been sent by God to speak to you and, and bring you this good news. Have some faith, man. <laughs> I'm here from God. This should be proof enough. And behold, you shall be silent. So he goes on to say, you should be silent and unable to speak until a day when these things take place because you did not believe my words. You doubted, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at this delay in the temple. Again, they thought maybe he would have he died. There's no rope on him. <laughs> you know, how do we get him? All right. But when he, had come, uh, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Now, when they came out of that room, all, everyone's worshiping and praising God and singing and praying and all kinds of stuff. And his job was to come out and then, like, say a blessing upon them, Right? God is good, God is great, thank you for the food we ate. You know, that kind of just blessing upon you guys. And then they were supposed to respond back with a blessing back at him. But when he comes out, he goes, nothing, all right? So he can't speak. And they realize that he had seen a vision in the temple. Why? Well, he kept on making signs to them and remained mute. He, he was playing like charades, right? Is that the game where sounds like two syllables, first word, steal second base, whatever. <laughs> when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home, and after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, because God said that she would, she would, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in, in the days when I looked, uh, when he looked with me uh, upon, with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. So she felt that disgrace of not being able to have a child. Did anybody see that coming? Anybody see Zacharias' response coming? Probably not. But he expresses not joy, not excitement. He expresses doubt. Gabriel is standing in front of him. You're going to have a son. And what does Zacharias do? Zacharias goes, yeah, but I'm old. My wife's old. I hear what you're saying, but my personal circumstances are telling me that this is not going to happen. I'm doubting this. And he doubted it because he looked at himself. He looked at the circumstances. He began to evaluate the promise from God based on what he saw life to be. Again, God sent Gabriel should have been enough. But he didn't. It wasn't enough because... So, God sends Gabriel. And Zacharias looks at himself. God's given us the Bible, his inspired word. And what happens too often? We doubt. We look at our circumstances. And that's, that's where we're going to personalize this. What's keeping you from believing that God's going to answer your prayer? What, what's holding you back? How, what are you looking at? What are you, what are you thinking? What are you perceiving that would tell you that this infinitely powerful, good God, whose timing is always perfect, won't provide for you? 
Now, I get it. Not every answer, not every prayer is going to be answered with a yes. But that's God's good will. That's God's good timing at work. And so for us, we, we don't want to focus on ourselves. We don't want to focus on our circumstances. We don't want to focus on the other people that we're praying for. We need to focus our attention on this good God who's infinitely powerful, who's given us the promises that he's given us. Well, you're going to have to come back next week to find out if um, Zacharias gets his voice back or you can actually read ahead, which is good. You know, reading the Bible every day is a good thing. So take Luke, read through it. You'll find out the answer for yourself. But Phil, come back next week so we can look at that. But for now, what do we do with this? What are some takeaways? Well, the first one is this. If you're here this morning and, and you're saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying about God making me right with him, and I'm not, that's where you start. That's your takeaway. Let God make you right with him. That's the only direction it goes, God making you or me right with him. And so how do you do that? What's that all about? Well, you go on to the New Testament and you're reading more about it. You believe what God says about your sin, that breaking God's laws, doing things wrong when we've all done it. And so you believe that that's what keeps you from God. That's the issue. It needs to be removed. But then you also believe that God's going to judge that sin in, in, uh, for eternity in hell. That, that's just what the Bible teaches, and it's sad, but, and some people will not receive the gift, but that's, that's, the, that's what's going on there. So there's no way you and I can get rid of that sin, but God can. So God the Son becomes man, Jesus Christ. Now he's God, infinitely powerful, and he's man, living a perfect life, and he dies on the cross. He takes God's judgment on himself for you and for me. And when we believe that, when we understand what he's saying, say, oh God, please forgive me of my sin. And I'm trusting in Christ that he died for me. When we do that, God says he forgives us of our sins. He, he, he washes us clean that way. He puts God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we go through the rest of this life, God the Holy Spirit is with us, helping us be, become more like Jesus. And then when we die, we go to heaven. Not for anything we've done, before what Jesus Christ has done, has done. And so for you, you want to know for sure that you, God has made you right with him, have that conversation with God. Say, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I'm not right with you. And I ask you to make me right with you because I believe now I'm trusting that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. If you've made, had that kind of conversation with God in the past, that was, you're good to go. You're, you're born... Uh, spiritually, the Bible tells us. And so you're good to go. But if you haven't had that conversation, today is the day to have that conversation. And it's just your heart to God's heart. And if you had that conversation, can I encourage you to do something? Tell somebody, a friend or a family member who, if it, obviously you're here and so maybe they attend Grace Point, and so tell them that you've made that decision. Tell me. I'd love to know about it. You can fill out a, if you don't catch me out in the lobby, you can fill out a, a a welcome card and, and let me know that. If you want me to respond back and give you some extra help and all that kind of stuff, you put your contact information. But that's what you guys who, who need to do that, that's your first step. And then for the rest of us, while we wait for God's answer, for whatever it is that we're praying for, um, keep praying. <laughs> God commands us to pray. He wants us to pray. 
So don't ever feel like, oh, I keep on praying, but God doesn't care. No, God commands us to come before him. It pleases him if you continue to pray for these things. Don't get bitter. Don't get angry. Don't get apathetic. Trust God. Trust his will. Trust his goodness. Stay faithful to do the next right thing, to do what God's called you to do. And then don't doubt. You're going to be tempted. I'm always tempted to look at the circumstances, look at the situation. But you've got to train yourself that as soon as your mind and heart starts going to your circumstances, you ask God, God, lift my head up so I can see you and I can trust you, your ability, your promises. You know, my prayer is that we'll continue to pray and that God will continue to answer. And those answers are going to become in some unexpected ways. And you're going to be able to then tell people, wow, I was praying for this, and then God did this. And we're going to be excited for you. People in your life who don't know Christ are going to be like, wow, that's really cool. You think God did it? Yeah, I know God did it. I couldn't do that. And you're going to have an opportunity to tell them about the God that you worship. And Lord willing, you're going to see them come to Christ. And all of that is for God's glory. All of that is for people to look and say, God is awesome. And that's what he's shooting for. Let's go ahead and stand. We're closing prayer. Heavenly Father,